From Canada Land, this is Oppo. I'm Jen Gerson in Calgary, and I'm opposed to Justin Ling. I'm Justin Ling in Portugal, and I'm opposed to Jen Gerson. So let me get this straight, Justin. You did not spend the last week of your life trying to recover from strep while taking care of a toddler, working full-time, and shoveling yourself out of 20 centimeters of snow. No, I've been meandering and eating and drinking my way through Europe, and it's all right. I will say it's all right. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's pretty good. Um, I might need a break here to cry into my closet. I'm not even kidding you. I'm, I'm <laughs> so bitter. Um, today we are offering up some free and completely solicited advice to the NDP on how to maybe potentially be competitive in the Ontario provincial election. Fake circumstances have finally conspired to give them something resembling a shot at winning. Yet where are they? And Jen also insists on talking about her second and favorite baby, the debate over carbon tax versus cap and trade. And just to be clear, that's favorite over her actual baby. What could possibly be new there, Jen? Uh, Well, I can tell you the debate over carbon taxes and cap and trade did not scream from one o'clock in the morning until five o'clock in the morning last night. Insist on sleeping with me with his head over my face. That that did not happen. (laughs) And globetrotting, latte-sipping, champagne-drinking, cosmopolitan elite Justin Ling, who has no actual responsibilities in life and has the luxury of being able to go take off and bail on his country. I have a dog. Um, well, has come down hard with a case of Europhilia. And so he's making us talk about Russia. You know, Russia's barely in Europe, right, Justin? It's sort of in there. Yeah, close enough, I guess. Before we get started, a big thanks to our sponsor, FreshBooks the cloud accounting software that I have launched into my freelancing career with. It saves freelance workers like me two days a month in paperwork and gets us paid up to five days faster. For your 30-day free trial, go to freshbooks.com oppo and enter oppo, O-P-P-O, in how did you hear about us section. Also sponsoring the show is Sonos, who is offering the listeners of Oppo's 10% off an order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code OPPO10, capital O-P-P-O-1-0, at Sonos.com to receive this offer. By the way, the speakers are great. I literally just say, Alexa, play whale music, and it's just, it's very soothing. <laughs> oh. Oppo is also supported in part by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks, short on time. For 50% off your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash oppo and enter promo code oppo when you subscribe. So last week, Ontario took a drive on the wild side. Despite losing the popular vote and the majority of riding somehow, Doug Ford became leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party. Just let that breathe for a second. Just let it breathe. Doug Ford, leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party. It's like fine boxed wine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Now many of Bill This is Andrea Horvath's time to shine, and yet... She's barely anywhere to be found. Lots of people have blamed the media for ignoring her. Others have blamed Bob Ray for 
existing, insulting the socialist earth. Others and yet say Bob Ray's like not. actually become like a really respectable politician. <laughs> I know. Like, you know, like that's the funny thing. And there's now a whole effort to sort of go back and, and recuperate his legacy, but that's not going tremendously well. Others say Rachel Notley's not so great NDP government in Alberta is somehow to blame. So what is it? I feel like I really want to read this thing that um, Kenderland got this letter to the editor and it got forwarded to us. And I thought that there was a little tidbit in this letter to the editor that was so fascinating to me. And, and keep in mind, this is just some random dude emailing us. So I don't know how true this actually is, but it certainly... I always go with what random dudes email us. Exactly. But I mean, it, there, there, there's I think it's a bit of a telling quip if, if there's anything to it. Because it reads, I know people, this is a quote, I know people who work for the provincial party, the NDP provincial party, and they've told me that they don't expect to get any coverage by the star until the writ is dropped and then there are obligations for equal coverage. And I thought this was such a fascinating little note, because if it's true, and that's actually sort of the mentality, or, or it speaks to some kind of culture thing at the, the NDP, it explains perfectly to me why they suck at what they do. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I sort of appreciate what they're saying. I mean, so much of the media is set up on this dogfight between Kathleen Wynne and Doug Ford that it's hard to even remember that that Andrea Horvath is, is there. I mean, like, it, it's so... It's so visceral and like cage matchy. It's 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 very easy to forget that there's a third party at all. But you know what? Yeah, but but here's my problem. You're a political party. Your actual job, the only job you have, <laughs> is to a create a set of policies and platforms that people can can get on board with, and then communicate that policy and platform to potential voters. Like that is the simplest explanation. So sitting around waiting for the writ to drop in the hopes that eventually someone is going to pity cover you out of obligation, that is the wrong mentality for a winning team. I think you're right. So, Jen, do me a favor. Get in the mind of an NDP strategist. You have Kathleen Wynne on one side, whose approval ratings literally couldn't be any lower. Doug Ford on the other, the guy that even his own party hates, and a media that does not seem to want to cover you. How do you come up the middle with a, frankly, milk toast leader like Andrea Horvath? Well, firstly, you don't put out shitty ads like the one they did that made <laughs> circulating around. And like, I have to, I have to picture this because I, because I, I tweeted it. If you're interested, go to my Twitter account. But it's like this little picture. It's like this black and white ad, um, very basic with like a red and blue pill right in the middle. And it basically is like, you know, on one side the blue side is Doug is is Doug Ford and the PC party, and the red side is Kathleen Wynne on the other side. And it's like this is bad medicine or something like this. You know, there's a, there's a third weak. option at the bottom. Weak. It's so weak because here's what here's the problem is that a you're only reinforcing the two person narrative with that ad. Right. You're not actually showing that there's a third option visually, and secondly, you're not presenting your party or its ideas or what it has to offer. And I think that that's the thing that that. Um, now, I mean, I, I'm in Alberta, so I, I'm very far away from all of this. But one thing that it's not just the Ontario NDP, but I would say also the federal NDP is that they really seem AWOL. They have not been aggressive in trying to market who they are and what they actually stand for. And as a result, they're either totally off the map, like like nobody seems to be paying attention to them or even trying to get their opinion or feedback on any of them because, you know, like, like where are they? Like nobody even thinks about them. Or when they are in the news, they're in the news for the wrong reasons. And that's, I would say, that the Jack and the, the six separatism and the Calistani stuff. And and like that that's what's dominating coverage about the federal NDP right now. But also, but I don't even think that's fair. I think if you're the Ontario NDP, you have been in government. The federal NDP hasn't. You've been around for basically just as long as they have. You shouldn't be sitting around waiting for the federal party to come save you. Now, 
we occasionally get some. I'm not saying no. I'm not saying I'm not saying save you. I'm saying like like like, like, like both parties seem to have a parallel problem. Is what I'm saying. Sure, fair enough. And so we get some criticism on the show sometimes for being a little bit too centrist. And Extremely so I, centrist. I, I'll, throw you all a, I'll throw you all a bone. So putting on my you know fake NDP strategist hat, which I keep in my hat closet. I have to say the mindset that the NDP needs to move even more to the center and occupy the big mushy middle seems to me to be just so hilariously wrong that I can't believe anyone's still considering it. Andrea Horvath and the Ontario NDP have run as a centrist, safe alternative in every election over the past you know decade, and they've lost everyone spectacularly. If they think this is going to change, if they think that there's a bunch of conservative and liberal voters sitting around just waiting for the safe, boring, um, you know, two percent milk NDP to kind of just reintroduce itself, they're deluding themselves. The NDP, well, I swear to God, need to run hard left. I mean, you have Doug. Let's, Ford, let's, you have Doug let's, Ford let's, on one let's side. Let's qualify the word "hard left." Let's qualify well, "hard here left." Here we go. Let's do right? it. So Doug Ford on one side is promising to axe the lowest income tax bracket. That's actually pretty radical. If it was coming from somebody who I actually had faith in as a political leader, I would actually be very attracted to that. I find that a very interesting idea. It actually gets into the territory of nearly negative income tax rates, which is kind of in the ballpark of guaranteed minimum income, at least for lower earners. I think that's interesting. It's not a bad idea. It's not necessarily no, a bad it's not idea. At all. Now, unfortunately, Doug Ford is his own baked Alaska of weird. Um, so I don't. Well, let's not let's have a conversation about whether or not Doug Ford can actually be called a conservative in any meaningful <laughs> exactly. sense. But that's a whole exactly. other set of rabbit holes that I will go down at another exactly. point. And you have Kathleen Wynne in the middle running on this sort of big but sort of poorly thought out government programs, whether it's, um, you know, uh, universal college education, kind of for some people, um, universal, you know, uh, health access, secondary health access, but for some people. Um, it, it's kind of traditional uh, mainstream NDP bread and butter. So where does the Ontario NDP go? I think you need to t start talking seriously about free education with an actual timeline attached to it. I think you start talking about serious guaranteed minimum income. I think you you have to start talking about uh, maybe more aggressive carbon tax or cap and trade systems. You know, I think there's a whole litany of areas you can go into if you decide to knock down that wall between, you know, what is normal, accessible mainstream Ontario politics and what you need to go into um, to actually attract voters to to a new party. Um, the other thing I would point out is that, you know, we saw what happened in the last federal election when Mulcair and the federal NDP tried to play the centrist role. And uh, Justin Trudeau went further left and ate their lunch, right? Yeah. And, and essentially, that's what you see. The same dynamic is essentially playing out here. Um, so, uh, you know, at the risk of, of being called an extreme centrist here, uh, I, I'm going to agree with you sort of with a, a sense that I think the NDP would be well served to go um, with a bold, hard left platform but also one that is realistic. Like I like, like I wouldn't call for like the 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 overthrowing of the proletariat and the end of private property. You know what I'm saying? Like 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 so like when we say hard left, that's kind of where my mind goes to. Yeah. <laughs> like like well, no. I think so, we okay. can talk about nationalization for certain um you know private services, renationalizing Hydro One. Like you know, I think those are all in the gamut of what the Ontario NDP can promise. Well and then the other thing I would too is that it's interesting to me what Wynn seems to have staked out in the last couple of weeks. Essentially, it's almost like a retro 70s-esque uh, big government pro-technocratic kind of yeah. approach that is meant to appeal to um, middle and upper middle class 
Torontonians. Uh, you know, and I think that that's an interesting and, and dangerous approach because it, it isn't a big tent platform what they're putting forward anymore. It is it is very much a a very retro lefty platform in a lot of interesting ways. So it's like I, I think there's so much movement and room here for some innovative policy thinking from the NDP, um, free education, for example. I mean, I mean, that would be the bold cost that don't just sell me bullshit cost it. But but come up with something bold like that. You're going to get the media attention if you, if you do that. Right. And then if Horvath can come across as like not crazy credible, like like if she can come across much like as I would say Rachel Notley comes across as being you know a reasonable, thoughtful, intelligent woman um, who can put, who can credibly lead the province, uh, the NDP absolutely has yeah. a shot. I mean, for fuck's sakes, if Rachel Notley can win in Alberta, a hundred percent. Now, if you are a candidate or an MPP with the Ontario NDP and you want to come on the show and sell us your crazy left wing vision, we're here. Oh yeah, totally. Let's do it. Oppo is supported in part by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take about half an hour for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time. I came home the other week and whipped up a full meal for two in 30 minutes. It left me with much more time to read the day's news and weep. Yes, and let's be perfectly honest here. It's not like you need the additional convenience. (laughs) Do you? No, no. Me, on the other hand, my life is hell now. I don't have time. I didn't have time to eat this morning. Like, it's 11 o'clock. I've had literally, like, two bites of a four-day-old pastry. That's my life now. So I I need HelloFresh. They source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantity you need. So there's no food waste. There's minimal prep. And it's all delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. For half off your first order, visit HelloFresh.com slash oppo and enter promo code OPPO when you subscribe. So, Jen, you hate the environment. Uh, Yeah, well, being in Alberta, I'm really hoping that greenhouse gas emissions will turn my hellish snowscape of a province into a tropical paradise. So obviously one of the first priorities for the Trudeau government was to fix the environment. And to do that, they were looking at a variety of models, whether that was going to be cap and trade or a carbon tax or something else. A lot of people thought they were leading towards a carbon tax, just a flat nationwide carbon tax, and that would be it. That would have been a golden goose for the conservatives. Obviously, a carbon tax makes everything more expensive. The conservatives love calling it a tax on everything. But the eventual solution was sort of eloquent. They left it up to the provinces to decide whether they would go for the tax or a cap-and-trade model, which of course is a system where you buy and sell credits based on how much you pollute, and the credits go towards kind of green energy products. And the provinces could set basically whatever they wanted as long as there was a national price. So you'd think this would have all have gone over well, but with Doug Ford and Jason Kenney tying their entire campaigns to fighting the tax... We're going to make sure we don't have burden on families just trying to heat their homes. Folks, I'm not going, I am not going to introduce a carbon tax. That is a... (laughs) It begs the question, how did we get here? We were supposed to be done with this. How is it that conservatives still can't abide by some sort of carbon pricing system? It is a market-based solution to an obvious problem. Do they just not believe in global warming, Jen? Um, I certainly think that that is part of it for some conservatives, absolutely. I, I also think that there's two other real concerns here. The other concern is that uh, a carbon tax or carbon pricing, no matter how stringent, isn't really going to have any 
real impact on greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, Canada is a comparatively small overall producer. So by creating a carbon tax or a cap and trade system, all we're doing is we're hobbling our own economy for minimal actual global gain. That, that if we're taking on these um, policies and, you know, our biggest trading partner, America, which is also, you know, one of the largest contributors of greenhouse gas emissions, is not doing the same and they're not, then we're just, we're, we're, we're cutting off our nose to spite our face. Um, the second concern, I think, is that it's just skepticism about whether or not the carbon tax is actually going to do any broader social good or if it's it's just a straight up money grab. It's just another way for cash-strapped governments to avoid making the appropriate and necessary efficiencies that they need to make to their own coffers so that they can just grab more cash from, you know, the average Joe. So on the, on the first bit though, you know, I, I thought this was the thing that conservatives loved about cap and trade systems. And Stephen Harper famously endorsed cap and trade before he didn't. Um, it might be true that, you know, Canada reducing its CO2 emissions won't have a big overall global impact. But if Canada joined a cap and trade system, we'd have the ability to buy and sell credits um, to basically receive money from foreign governments. If our green businesses are doing better uh, for us to sell to foreign businesses, if, if they need more credits, I thought the idea is that joining a global cap and trade system was a good idea. This is what we did in the 90s, and we ended acid rain. I, I don't think that a cap and trade system is necessarily a terrible idea, but it raises for me some real concerns. The big one is that if, if we want to go back to the history of trying to create a carbon price across the country. One of the reasons why Alberta has always resisted that is because, of course, Alberta is, I believe, the biggest greenhouse gas emitter in the country as a result of, you know, the oil sands production and our electricity production historically being mostly coal generated. That was actually a, as big a chunk as our oil sands production. And so the thought was that a carbon tax administered out of Ottawa was just going to be another way of transferring huge sums of cash out of Alberta and back into Ottawa and Ontario. That was all it was going to be. It was just a, a scam, um, like, you know, an equalizations-like scam to, to take wealth out of this province. Um, but of course, and that was, national solutions now let the provinces keep all that money. So again, Well, well yeah, exactly. So so, 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 so here's, so here's I, I think, actually where, where Rachel Notley did something really, really smart in her approach here. She said, well, look, no, we're going to create a, and this was ahead of um, uh, Justin Trudeau's announcement. She said, uh, no, look, we're going to create a made in Alberta solution that allows Alberta to keep its own revenues on its carbon tax in a hope to try and make that more palatable for the oil and gas industry and also for the individuals who worked here. It wasn't going to be some giant sort of wealth transfer scheme all of a sudden. Now it was going to be a way for, you know, Alberta to, I mean, hopefully create the social license that it would need for its oil and gas industry to um, expand and survive, but also to, to keep uh, the opportunities that that revenue provides um, locally in-house. And I think I think that's the big skepticism about cap and trade is that essentially what it winds up being is it's a wealth transfer system out of Alberta's wealth out of, uh, of the country into basically California credit markets. Well, we've actually seen a really good experience thus far because Ontario and Quebec have been in the California continental uh, cap and trade market for, for a number of years now. Well, Quebec has. Ontario is relatively new. Um, but we've seen a, a, you know, a relative amount of success in, in, in basically credits going back and forth. We've seen businesses who are polluting less be able to sell their credits, make a little more money. And that's not necessarily uh, transferring wealth. That is good business for business in Quebec, 
Ontario, and California. I really think cap and trade does make so much more sense. With a carbon tax, you're really putting that money into the government's pocket where it's burning a hole. Now, either they're going to you know, pave roads with it and, and pay for health care, which is government's natural inclination, or they're going to put it into a dedicated pot just to fund you know, big government programs to pay for, I don't know, some moonshot carbon capture systems that will inevitably fail. I do like the idea of leaving the money in the market and letting the market help kind of figure out what is the most viable green alternative. And obviously, cap and trade, much like a carbon tax, penalizes, if not more heavily, um, you know, really dirty energy generation. It is going to disincentivize coal production in such a more serious way than if we didn't uh, have any system at all. So obviously, well, provided the provided the, the, those but, industries but aren't exempted, right? I mean, and some of them are. So I mean, here, here's the other issue I have is that there's another way that the government can spend carbon tax revenue. And that's, again, what Upward has done. And that is rebates, money going directly back to especially people who are, are, are on the poorer end of this of the spectrum, because they disproportionately pay more of their overall income on the sorts of things that are that are carbon intensive. Right. So I mean that's that's another way of just getting money back into to, to, to taxpayers' pockets. But I mean I think there are two real concerns that I have with the current cap and trade system with um, as it's set up between Ontario and Quebec and, and and California right now. One is I have questions about the stringency of the credits that are being purchased. I mean how, how much right. how, how effective are they actually? I, I don't I don't actually know. And then I sec- think the second thing is especially when we're talking about anything involving California. California is um, deeply vulnerable to stupid direct democracy, also known as re- referendums. Oh, God, yeah, I mean, yeah. all you need is one good proposition or one good referendum measure to kill the cap-and-trade market in California. And then Whereas here, all we need is one good election where Doug Ford wins. <laughs> well, I mean, de- democracy is stupid. I mean, that's clearly the, um, the takeaway we you know can what? take from all of this. Democracy is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> So the great news is that spring has almost arrived, or so I'm told. I'm not in Canada right now. So mad. Fuck you. <laughs> the not so great news? Tax season is arriving along with it. If you're a freelancer and stressed out by the stacks of receipts, which I totally do have saved, spreadsheet formatting nightmares, and not enough time to deal with it, then listen up. Our friends at FreshBooks have created ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software that makes dealing with your taxes way less taxing. Get it? Their mobile apps let you take pictures of your receipts and organize them for later, which makes claiming expenses at a tax time a breeze. You can set up FreshBooks to import expenses directly from your bank accounts. So next time you use your debit card for that meal, tank of gas, or that new computer for your business, boom, the purchase is recorded instantly in FreshBooks. On top of all the things that FreshBooks can do for you at tax times, it's also really simple to create and send invoices. Right now, FreshBooks is offering a free 30-day trial to Oppo listeners. Just go to freshbooks.com forward slash Oppo and enter Oppo in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So we're bringing back a recurring segment here at Oppo called Red Stream, Blue Stream, where both me and Jen delve into the murky recesses of our partisan social media and see what all the nutjobs are talking about. Jen, what are the oil-hungry wasteland dollars in your social media discussing this week? Well, Justin, actually, this one's pretty interesting to me, and that is uh, the quote-unquote alt-right, far-right uh, journalist, activist, vixen, uh, Lauren <laughs> Southern, <laughs> appears to have been detained and, and barred access to the UK. She was planning to attend you know, some speech and some rallies, um, some anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant kind of uh, stuff over there, and she's more or less barred. And Britain's Home Office was asked about this, and they responded in a statement that said that the border force, quote, has the power to refuse entry to an individual if it is considered that his or her presence in the UK is not conducive to the public good. It turns out that you can't check your tiki torch. 
Who knew? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who knew? Um, also, let's also point out the irony that uh, Lauren Southern, who fairly recently was arrested for, I think, like trying to stop boats filled with potential refugees from entering Europe, has herself been barred from Europe and is claiming foul on the issue. There's um, some deep so that, irony there. I love it. There's some pretty interesting irony. Now, I mean, it's very easy to, you know, poke fun at Lauren Southern here. but It is. We should keep doing it. We should keep doing it, and we will. But I actually think that this is an interesting issue because it is a little bit creepy for an open democratic country like the UK. The fact that the the, the UK is barring her, and, and I guess under um, also from what I'm gathering here, like a terrorism provision, that strikes me as a pretty strong government overreach. I, I have a lot of questions about how often that type of language and provision has been used to bar people of color from the UK, and, and how often we don't hear about that because those people of color don't necessarily have, have the profile that she does. Here's one thing that I that's coming up on my 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 stream, quote unquote far right Lauren Southern. That's the MSM label for a right thinking conservative who cares about democratic freedoms and the future of the free world. This is how far down the leftist toilet the UK and Canada is right now. <laughs> it's so funny because I remember the left freaking out in I think very similar language when George Galloway, the kind of infamous UK politician, was barred from Canada by Jason Kenney. Um, and of course, a, there was court challenges that came of that, and it was sort of a whole uh, ordeal. But George Galloway, of course, is the sort of Hamas-sympathizing uh, UK MP or former UK MP. Um, and I, I think it's so interesting. It's, it's This is one of those things where it's depending on how you feel about um, you know the ideological bent of the person being banned. It's either you know a crime against free speech, or it's you know standing up to terrorist sympathizers, or you know far right nut jobs. So. I, you know, I think it's maybe time we, we kind of uh, maybe set some more clear rules on how we ban people from the country, because right now it's just such a mess. Well, and also, let, but let's also, like, set the bar a little higher than Lauren Southern. I mean, one of the real problems I have with this is that I think it's just a tactical mistake on the parts of well, governments she, when she they do this. She was blocking refugee because, boats. Like, that is literally, that is a horrible oh, no, I, crime. It's a, it's a horrible crime, and she, and, and, and I have no problem with arresting her for blocking refugee boats. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. But when you ban someone like Lauren Southern from the UK because she wanted to deliver pamphlets, you know, n- nasty yeah, pamphlets. Yeah. I mean, what 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 essentially what you're doing is you're giving a stunt journalist all the stunt she needs. Like you're feeding you're feeding the reactionary trolls is what but you're doing. It's also right really funny that her and her ilk had this whole thing of what is a nation without borders? And then she gets blocked at the border. <laughs> it's sort of funny. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so let's let's switch here. Um, Justin Ling, you're a free, unencumbered white male with no responsibility for anything other than your own pleasures, whims, and happiness. What's yes. coming up on your... Uh, <laughs> what's, what's, Go on. What's, what's coming up on your stream of late? <laughs> well, you know, I, I saw something quite recently that was uh, quite perfect, and it was just very contrite, and I quite like it. And it's obviously in relation to the current, um, you know, smorgasbord of schnafus that are embroiling the NDP. So I've been to Europe. I'm using a bunch of European words. Um, and it, it was from a friend of mine on Facebook, and he just said, how soon until Jagmeet Singh is asked to condemn Reverend Jeremiah White? And I thought it was 
sort of sort of perfect. And of course, if you don't remember, there was a whole ordeal where uh, Barack Obama was uh, interrogated by Fox News for months about his ties with infamously uh, anti-white and pro-Black Panther pastor Jeremiah White. And then it was, you know, his ties to the Weather Underground uh, because he, because of Bill Ayers, who's one of his, uh, you know, campaign advisors. And at one point, there was a really famous Fox News segment where they asked whether him and his wife were giving each other terrorist fist jabs. There was this very insane witch hunt going on. And I think the left is very happy to compare that to the current questions being asked of Jagmeet Singh and his ties to uh, Sikh nationalism and Sikh extremism. I don't know if it's 100% fair. I think this one Facebook post might be taking it a bit far, but I think it's kind of funny anyway. Um, I mean, it's definitely definitely funny, but let's give credit to where credit is due here. Uh, I I think it is, it turned out to have been a fair question to ask pointed questions to Mr. Singh about his actual connections to some of these groups and how much he supported them. I I think that, uh, you know, his reaction to those questions and his obfuscation on some of those questions for several months has not served him well, particularly in light of some of the some of the leaks that have come out in the last couple of days. That being said, I will say this, is that I think that he actually finally has done what he should have done five months ago. He, he's given a, a, an op-ed to, the, to um, the, the Globe and Mail. It was a very humane op-ed explaining where he was coming from and exactly what he stood for in clear and unequivocal terms. Right. Um, and he also did a, a similar very good interview with the CBC. I kind of wish he had done that four or five months ago. I think he put, would have put a lot of these issues to rest if he had done that a while ago. And I've, I've seen a lot of people, especially on the left, saying the exact same thing saying finally he's come out and sort of clarified this. And I think it's a big relief on the left right yeah. now that he's done that. And there's been a frustration that he hasn't done it much sooner. And yeah, obviously the questions are fair, but I, I, I am noticing, you know, and I, we're going to come back to this obviously because Jenna, I know you want to talk about this on another show. Um, you know, the tempo of stories that are coming out now, analyzing every person he sh- shook hands with, every uh, rally he's been to, that I think is blurring the line between Sikh nationalism and Sikh extremism and I don't know that it's going to serve us well, and I don't think it's going to stop. So I think we're going to have a lot more of these conversations in the months to come. Oppo is also brought to you by Sonos, the voice speaker for music lovers and whale music lovers. (laughs) Sorry, I forgot that was my... (laughs) My Sonos was waiting for me back in Toronto, and I'm pretty jazzed to be able to yell, play Tom Jones, edit from the other room several times a day. I also say, Alexa, play Raffi. Because my child's favorite song is Baby Beluga, over and over and over again. Sonos is offering the listeners of Oppo 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any products on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. Use the promo code OPPO10, capital O-P-P-O, and I just turned on my, my Sonos by accident. <laughs> Alexa, stop! There we go. Use the promo code OPPO10, capital O-P-P-O-1-0, at Sonos.com to receive this offer. By now, you've probably heard about the attempted murder of Sergei Skripal, the Russian spy who was hit with a Russian-made nerve agent while shopping in Salisbury, England. The US, the UK, France, and Germany have all released a collective statement blaming Russia and promising to put to a stop, you know, the targeted killings of political dissidents with chemical weapons. You know who wasn't on that statement? Canada. We had our own statement. I spoke uh, about an hour ago with Prime Minister Theresa May, uh, expressed, first of all, my condolences, my sympathies uh, for, uh, uh, for the, uh, the individuals affected by this uh, terrible attack, uh, and uh, 
told her that of course Canada stands with uh, its friend and ally, uh, the United Kingdom on this. Uh, the attack uh, is despicable uh, and unacceptable uh, that there be chemical weapons used against uh, uh, against uh, citizens of, uh, of, uh, of the United Kingdom. Uh, and uh, Russia's likely involvement in this uh, is also absolutely unacceptable and needs to be condemned in the strongest terms. That's what I told Theresa May. That's what I'm glad to repeat here today. But this whole affair feels really repetitive. Not only is it eerily similar to the murder of former KGB agent Alexander Litvinenko more than a decade ago, who was murdered with polonium, an investigation found that Litvinenko's murder was most likely done on the orders of the KGB, and of course the UK demanded they extradite the people responsible, and they didn't, and yada yada yada, the whole thing looked eerily similar to what's happening now. Since then, according to a BuzzFeed News investigation, Russia has murdered more than a dozen expats on British soil, and the UK has done nothing. So this whole thing begs the question, what's going to change, and can Canada do anything about it? Probably nothing and no. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the right answer. Um, okay, Justin cool. Trudeau, credits. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Trudeau released a statement, as did Christia Freeland, uh, about the poisoning. Um, but honestly, I, I think it's an interesting question because, you know, the traditional diplomacy that NATO engages with here – doesn't work. Russia keeps killing people. There's a current investigation by Scotland Yard into the death of another Russian dissident from just last week who died under suspicious circumstances. Um, I think it's really interesting to start thinking about, you know, how to make Russia stop literally murdering people on our soil because evidently the traditional diplomatic levers aren't working super well. Well, I think also, this goes back to our discussion of couple weeks ago them about literally uh, right in the middle of the of London using nerve agents that then were exposed innocent civilian like 500 is innocent civilians to a deadly nerve agent. Um, and put a police officer in critical condition. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I think here's the question here is that why wasn't Canada on the statement and was the statement we gave strong enough in support of our allies? Well, I think it's an interesting question now because, okay, listen, you're going to have the USK, France, Germany, you know, three of which are on the Security Council, one of which is important, um, which obviously we're not really, who are going to do their own thing and kind of have to engage in their continental diplomacy. I think it's an interesting question to ask whether or not Canada can take a different tact here. Um, you know, we are a, a major NATO partner now. Um, you know, we have been engaging pretty heavily in Europe and Eastern Europe. Um, I want to know if there are, is things we can do that kind of follow outside the traditional gamut um, of diplomacy. You know, in Iran, we, we've, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we funded um, kind of information campaigns um, targeting the regime there. Uh, you know, in Africa, in various African nations, we've engaged uh, with funding local dissident groups who have basically pushed back against um, regimes that don't respect human rights or, or anti-democratic. Um, and I think we have started having those conversations here. I mean, obviously, those exact uh, solutions might not work in Russia. But, you know, I think just the traditional, you know, issuing a statement, firing diplomats, opening and closing embassies, introducing sanctions, it's not working. It's no, obviously but, but, not working. But, but, Okay, here's where I'm, I'm going to get into flack. The thing that we actually need to start doing is start properly equipping our military instead of stop putting off our procurement issues by decades. Um, we have major, major now issues and shortfalls on that front. And we need to start seriously committing not to peacekeeping and all that feel-good crap, which doesn't do any good, and, and start to actually increase our spending up to our NATO commitments of 2% per GDP, which we're nowhere near. I mean, Trump wasn't wrong when he called us on that, by the way. No. If we really want to um, 
isolate and strong arm an entity like Russia. What we need is a strong NATO. What we need is a strong and well-funded NATO that that is confident and secure in, in its alliance and in its partners. We, that NATO can't necessarily be you know, leaning on one partner, the United States in perpetuity in, in the hope that, you know, they'll just fix everything for us. So, I mean, I mean, that's actually the next move for us here. We actually need to make sure that we have the muscle to, to stand behind our diplomacy. I agree and disagree. Like, I agree it needs to be done. You know, I think Canada, if not 2%, 1.6, 1.8, good targets to actually aim for because I think we need to start, we need to start talking about an actually well-equipped, well-funded, well-trained NATO um, in response to an increasingly aggressive Russian government. I think that's unavoidable. It's not the solution, however. You know, it is ultimately um, a safe gap or a safeguard towards further further Russian aggression. You know, I think we need to start talking about actual um, diplomatic or quasi-diplomatic solutions that we can actually deploy in Europe. Now, um, I don't know... Such that, as? Well, and, you specifically? Know, in, in, in Ukraine, to combat, you know, Russian misinformation, we've started funding actually good investigative journalism. That might be a thing we start thinking about actually targeting Russia as opposed to uh, trying to combat Russian misinformation in Eastern Europe. That might be something we can do in Russia or around Russia or targeted towards Russian-speaking people. So counter psyops. Honestly, counter psyops is probably a good place to start. Um, and actually investigating these murders to the fullest and going hard at, at getting the people responsible for them, I think it's probably also a pretty good place to start. If no one's read it yet, there's a, this book called Bill Browder uh, by the name of Red Notice uh, about the, the death of Sergei Maninsky in a, in a Russian prison. It, it, it's a really, really interesting book. And it goes to show that actually um, sanctions are one thing, but actually targeting Russian corruption Corruption and calling out Russian uh, corruption does have a serious impact on the regime because Putin really only stays in power thanks to a lot uh, of, you know, basically uh, kleptocrats and, uh, you know, well-financed oligarchs. So I think this discussion is worth having. I think it's time for this, the government to start engaging in it. Uh, we'll see if they actually get there because thus far they seem pretty content with just releasing statements. <laughs> That was Oppo. I'm glad you learned something, Jen. Uh, I learned all about the weather in Portugal, Justin. It's very nice here. We want to know what you think. Email us at oppo at canadalandshow.com. We have 150 reviews on Apple Podcasts and a 4.5 star rating, which is not too shabby. So, thanks! Now we want tons more listeners. If you like Oppo, tell a friend. That will lead to more Oppo. And if you have not hit subscribe yet, do it now. This episode was produced by David Crosby for Candleland Media. Hi, David. Welcome to the team. Music by Nathan Burley. I have the last word for this week, and that word is Porto, because I'll be drinking a lot of it tonight. Die. Alexa, stop. <laughs>